0: Uh, so if you are here in person, there are, are notes available on the back table. If you want digital notes and are online, you can scan that QR code. Or if you're here in person, you can do the same. Today we're doing the Lamb Conquers. I am so glad that Jesus has conquered all, that God is unstoppable. And he conquers Babylon, which we've been studying, uh, the embodiment of evil. And Jesus conquers Babylon, we're looking at the interpretive section, and we're going to understand the seven heads of the beast, which symbolize the seven mountains, which represent the seven kings, okay? Let's pray. Father God, we just ask for you to teach us, we ask for wisdom to understand Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our hearts to know you, to understand you, and as this is your revelation of knowing what you are going to do in the future, I just pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 17, and we're going to look at 16, and we're going to start at the bottom of the verse, 16c, which says, oh, actually we're not, turn to Revelation 119. We'll be there first and then jump to Revelation 17. We need to do a little refresher. The refresher for Revelation and the outline comes from Revelation 119. Jesus said to John, write therefore the things you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. And this is Jesus' outline uh, for Revelation. So Jesus' outline for Revelation, why, what is Jesus glorified, Revelation 1, 9 through 20, or what it was seen, sorry, uh, Jesus glorified, Revelation 1, 9 through 20, what is the seven churches, which is Revelations 2 through 3, and what will be Jesus' judgment on the seven seals, trumpets, and bowls, which is Revelation 4 through 22. And so this is that rough outline we're coming to the end of the, the judgment section, uh, chapters 17 through 18, or two visions which expound on the fall of Babylon in the bold judgments. Uh, we've talked last uh, two weeks ago about possible identities of Babylon, whether it's uh, uh, Rome or Rome reborn or uh, actual re, uh, renewed uh, Babylon, uh, the city. Um, Or just in generic, the whole evil world system that leads the world away in apostasy. So those are all different options for what Babylon is representing uh, in this text. Today we're going over the angel's interpretation of the vision to John of the great prostitute writing the seven-headed beast and the ten-horned beast. So he has how many heads? Seven and how many horns? Ten. Okay, and these are this is symbolic. These represent something, and um, and we're going to talk about what they represent tonight. We'll see what that God's plan to vanquish evil and chaos in the world. That the Lamb conquers. Amen. The Lamb conquers. Jesus is victorious. In Him, we are more than conquerors. We conquer, and that's good news, and we can take that home today in our lives when we feel defeated and know that we conquer through the blood of Christ. We conquer through the work of God. Whatever's happening in your life today, God is working in it for your eternal good his glory, and you can know that, and you can take peace and comfort in that today. Because Jesus is victorious. Let's turn to Revelation 17, and we're going to read 17.6c. It says, When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. And the beast you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. So John marveled greatly at the vision. What is meant by John marveling? Is the action a positive action or a negative action? Is the qu- uh, angel's question to him a rebuke? Like, what are you doing, right? And and it's interesting as we begin to explore this, is that we can admit to ourselves that we can be tempted to be fascinated with evil. Ever watch, like, something dark on TV? Like, I think our world, our, our our culture seems to be fascinated with vampires. And there's lots of TV shows about vampires. Well, vampires are evil, right? Or maybe The Walking Dead, zombies. I can't believe how much our our culture seems to be fascinated with zombies, right? There there is a draw to be fascinated with evil. And definitely when it is in the guise of entertainment, Yet, fascination <clears throat> with evil is not what Jesus calls us to. It's not what he wants us to be. He wants us to be fascinated with him, we're to be enraptured in him. And in this context specifically, who are to be fascinated with him conquering the great prostitute, Through judgment, Jesus conquers everything, and Jesus is victorious in your life, and through him, you are victorious, and we should be fascinated and marvel at that. I believe John does not want to have a lapse in judgment in being in awe of her, but his reaction was one of alarm and dread at the vision. The Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of uh, the Old Testament, and it's called the Septuagint because it was uh, a committee of 50 Hebrew scholars that translated it to Greek, and Septuagint means 50 in Greek. Um, So the Septuagint shines light on this. In it, the translators use the same Greek word, thumazo, to describe Daniel's condition in Daniel. 419. And listen to this in the subduitant. And Daniel was Famazo or marveled greatly. He was greatly amazed, it says here, at the real meaning of the thing, uh, alarmed him. And alarmed with trembling, seized him, and his appearance altered, and with disturbed head, and for a time astonished, He answered me with a humble voice. O king, may this dream come against those who hate you and the interpretation of it come against your enemies. In in other words, he's shaken to the core by what he sees. Beale makes this observation concerning uh, John's state of mind. He says here the idea of appalled uh, or marveled should be understood in some sense of shock and fear. John should not fear the nightmarish vision as he has just seen concerning the horrible nature of the beast and the woman and their persecution of Christians because in Christ we are more than conquerors. Jesus has the beast, he has the woman, the great prostitute in hand. Though evil can be quite intimidating, can't it? And we all need to ask ourselves the question, The angel asked John, why do we marvel? We may be tempted to marvel in awe or dread of evil. And we need to remember the Lamb conquers. The Lamb has conquered evil. The Lamb has conquered death. And the Lamb goes before us. The Lamb stands beside us because we have confessed Him as Lord. And if you have not confessed Jesus as Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, I implore you, I encourage you to do that. Receive the free gift that God has given to everyone. It's simple. Confess him as Lord with your mouth. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And it says that you will be saved. You will be saved from all evil. Good news the angel is going to tell us the mystery of the vision. He's going to tell us the mystery of the vision. We need the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom to understand this interpretation. Holy Spirit, please give us understanding. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear what you have to say to us, the church, this evening. The Old Testament background for the vision and the Interpretation is Daniel 2, 41 through 45, and Daniel chapter 7. We're going to read Daniel 2, 41 through 45, and then sections of Daniel 7. I would encourage you to go read both of those chapters in their entirety and think of them in the context of Daniel chapter 13, and I mean Revelation chapter 13, and Daniel, uh, sorry, man, Revelation 17 and 18. Now, Daniel 2, 41, in your Bibles, it says, As you saw the feet and the toes, partially of potter's clay and partly of iron. How many toes are there? Anybody count their toes this morning? How many toes did you have this morning, Ginger? Five on one foot. How about on the other foot? You have five on each foot? And that makes... Ten toes, okay. That's how many horns? All right, ten horns. Ten toes, ten horns. Partly of pottles clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. Some of the fulness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partially of iron and of partially of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix. "...with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the kings of those toes, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in the pieces all the kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand, how long? Forever." And ever and ever. I Man, the lamb conquers, doesn't he? And then 45 says, just as you saw the stone was cut from the mountain by no human hand, and that it broke into the pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall, ta- shall be after this. The dream is certain, and the interpretation is sure. Did you know Daniel that God gave Daniel the, in, the dream and the interpretation of the dream to tell Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar said, I had a dream, and I think everybody is trying to pull the wall over my eyes, so you've got to tell me the dream and the interpretation. And God gave him both the dream and the interpretation of the four kingdoms. And a whole other study to go into what those four kingdoms are. Or war, So the feet and toes of the statue of the vision are in parallel to the ten horns of the beast of Revelation. This is the last kingdom or kingdoms to be destroyed by God. And good news, right? The Lamb wins. Jesus conquers. These kingdoms to be taken out. Jesus is victorious. And then we're going to jump to Daniel chapter 7, verse 7. That's Daniel 7, verse 7, and it says, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful, exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke into pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts that were before it. It had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth mouth speaking great things. Jump down to verse 11. And I looked because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and I looked because the beast that was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be born with fire. What is the beast's end? destruction, right? What was the, the the Antichrist or the little horn's end? Destruction. Daniel 7, 19 through 26, it says, Then I, Daniel, desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and its claws of bronze, the And which devoured and broke in the pieces and stamped all that was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up before which three of them fell. The horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and seemed to be greater than its companions. And as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the ancient of days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most high. And it came time and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, "As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, all the, the kingdoms." It shall devour the whole earth, and trample it down, and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for times, times, times. Half a time, which is three and a half years, if you study that phrase. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, consumed, and destroyed to the end. The lamb conquers. The lamb wins. The fourth beast in Daniel 7 is the beast, the great prostitute, is riding in Revelation 17 which is the beast described in Revelation 13 they both have 10 horns they both are presented as the last kingdom to stand against God the antichrist originates from both beasts Daniel 7:24 through 25 and Revelation 13:5 through 7 The beast in verse 8 is described as was, is not, and is about to rise. This threefold divine formula is the beast copying divinity. He's being a poser. He's trying to make something reality that isn't reality. And he is taking what has been revealed in Revelation 1.8, where God says that Jesus says, I am the Alpha, the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. And he's copying that because he is trying to sell himself as God. And he wants to dethrone God and take the place of God. And he does that in the hearts of many, many people. The Antichrist is more than someone to oppose God. He wants to take God's position. Yet the irony is he can't. And never will. He may take it for a moment in people's lives. But he can't do it for all time. For the Lamb conquered him. The Lamb conquered him on the cross. Validated by the resurrection. And this victory will be brought to its consummation at his coming. And we cry out, come Lord Jesus, come. Because the Lamb conquers. And he's coming again. And he's conquering what's going on in your life. He's using what's going on in your life for your eternal good and his glory. The beast comes from the abyss, the place where God has locked up the worst of the angels. That's where he comes from, is the abyss. We see this pit open in the fifth trumpet in Revelation 9:2. Yet what is the beast's end? His end is destruction for the Lamb. The lamb conquers. He conquers. The world marvels at the beast. Oh, it is enamored with the beast. They are in awe of him, for they see him as God, as the threefold formula indicates. Those whose names are not written in the book of life do not marvel. Nor are they afraid of him, for they know, they know that the Lamb conquers. In Christ Jesus, we are more than conquerors because of what he's done for us on the cross. Let's look at Revelation 17:9. It says, This calls for a mind with wisdom. Wisdom is comes from the fear of God, comes from knowing God, comes from knowledge applied. So we need wisdom. Anyone needs wisdom, James says, ask, and God will give it to him. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he comes, does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast, that was and is not and is an eighth, but it belongs unto the seventh, and it goes to destruction. The call for wisdom is drawn from Daniel 12.10. It says, many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. Stand. And then it's reiterated from Revelation 13, 18. It says, This calls for wisdom. Let the one who understands calculate the number of the beast, for its number, it's the number of a man, and his number is 666. We all need wisdom. It's a good thing that we who believe only need to ask in faith, and God will gift it generously, as seen in James 1.5. Lord, we do come before you right now in faith and ask that you would give us wisdom. Holy Spirit, lead us and teach us, opening our spiritual eyes to see and understand what you have for us in this passage. Bring to light things that we might have missed and give us wisdom and understanding. The seven heads represent seven mountains. The seven heads represent seven mountains on which the woman is seated. The woman is also seated on the beast, communicating that the mountains and the beast are potentially one and the same. Now, coinage in the 4th century portrays uh, seven hills, Oh, I lost my coins. Well, it says it's seven hills with the goddess Roma sitting on them. The preterists understand these seven mountains to represent the seven hills of Rome. And that's what the coinage is. You can see the one there on your right. Uh, you can kind of see the hills that the woman is seated on. Um, they represent the seven hills of Rome. And so some futures then would see this to speak of a renewed Rome, and I forgot to take out my note to insult the coins. So I'll have to make sure I take that out later. But those coins are there, they're kind of cool from Vespian's reign, um, AD 65, is when those coins were minted. The angel in verse 10 says that the mountains symbolize kings. So now we have seven heads of the beast representing seven mountains, which symbolize seven kings. Are you confused yet? Because it's metaphor laid upon metaphor. That comes down to something that's not a metaphor, which is kings, or as we go forward, maybe kingdoms. Lord, we need wisdom to understand this. The seven mountains are kings. So if they are kings, then five have fallen, one is, and one is to come for a short time. Five have fallen, one is, and one is to come for a short time. A short time. It is no surprise that there is much debate on who these kings are. There is a lot of debate, um, not a whole lot of consensus, but there, there is some. The preterist sees the kings as the Roman emperors. Now, preterist sees Revelation as, as, means, uh, as already being fulfilled. So they, they see the seven hills representing uh, Rome, and then the, the kings are, are the emperors of Rome. There are more than seven emperors. There are more than seven emperors. So they propose four enumerations or four different com, uh, composites. The first four are shown in the graph. Uh, below I don't know if you can read that, but you can see the uh the emperors listed from forty nine uh, b c all the way up to ninety six uh a d and uh so the a f- full preterist uh would pick the first four. so um, someone would just start at the beginning and and count them up the ortho and then some would uh, count them up and skip uh Otho and, uh, well, skip quite a few, and then do Vespian and Titus, right? So there's different enumerations. Um, People who date the book later would be the fifth column, Um, and they, uh, so that could be some uh, futurist or post-millennialist potentially. And then the last column, which uh, we're going to look at, is the future sees the... if the futurist who sees the beast as a revived Rome would favor the last enumeration in the gap graph below, which would be uh, the 7th and 8th um, uh, emperors are still to come. Beal, an idealist, points out this concerning mountains. Mountains symbolize kingdoms in the Old Testament and Jewish writings. For example... Uh, if you wanted to look them up, you could look at Isaiah two, Jeremiah 51.25, so on and so forth. And then 1st um, Enoch 5- 52, and then in the Targum, which uh, Targum is the uh, Arabic translation of the Old Testament. So in the Targum, Isaiah 41.15. Uh, um, if mountains represent kingdoms, and so that's what Beale argues for, that if represent, mountains represent kingdoms in the Old Testament, and kings represent their kingdoms, right? So uh, then perhaps the seven heads, which represent, are represented as seven mountains, which are the seven kings, represent seven kingdoms who oppress the world, all right? And then Paige Patterson, a futurist, writes, the reference is probably... Uh, is more probably to the seven oppressive kingdoms that constantly subject the people of God to intense persecution. These kingdoms enumerated in the Holy Scriptures, according to Thomas, are as follows. The five kingdoms of the past are ones who have persecuted God's people. Egypt, so, and then citing Ezekiel 29-30, Nineveh, or Assyria, Assyria Nahum, Nehum. Uh, 3, 1 through 19. Babylon, Isaiah 21, 9. Jeremiah, 50 through 51. Persia, Daniel 10, 13. And Daniel eleven two, 2. Uh, Greece, Daniel eleven three 3 through 4. Added these five kingdoms would be the sixth, the Roman contemporary John. These evil world systems, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece give way to the sixth, which is Rome of the Rome of John's day, the seventh, follows the last day of persecution by a world empire, and the eighth, the final expression of that, of that which is actually one of the seven. So, so we have this these empires of the past that have oppressed and persecuted Israel, and then uh, Rome, the persecuted. Israel and the church, and now we have two other kingdoms coming in the future that we don't know by name, but they are oppressing uh, the church and Israel in the last day. Beale, an idealist, writes It is possible that just as the seven churches represented seven actual churches, but also symbolized the church universal. So the seven heads and the seven mountains could represent seven historical empires or seven Roman emperors figuratively representing all Roman emperors themselves symbolizing all empires through history. So in other words it can have be specifically talking about specific kingdoms but then also be representation of all kingdoms that oppress the people of God. And what we want to walk away from this is that no matter what it is, whether it's uh, representation all kingdoms or just just the literal kingdoms, I believe it's probably both. But no matter what, we know that the lamb conquers, that he is victorious. Concerning the beast, which is the eighth uh, king or kingdom, and is of the same evil as the seven, Beal writes. The eighth, like the seven, has a figurative meaning. Eight likely had such significance in early Christianity. After six days of creative activity, God rested on the seventh day. The seventh day completed the creative process and may have been seen as the initiating an eighth day in which the regular operation of the new creation began. Likewise, Christ died on the sixth day of the week, (coughs) "'rested in the tomb on the Sabbath day "'and rose from the dead on the eighth day. "'Therefore, calling the beast an eighth "'is another way of referring to his future attempt "'at copying or mimicry of Christ's resurrection. "'Though the eighth head has the same wicked nature as others, "'he is different from them, "'in that he is an even fuller embodiment of satanic power,' In that his reign concludes history, being fully conquered, fully conquered by the Lord's return. And we won't know any of this for sure till Christ returns. What we do know, though, what we do know, church, is that the Lamb conquers. The Lamb conquers, and He has conquered. He conquered on the cross. He was validated in the resurrection, and we look forward to the consummation of His coming. Let's live in His victory. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let us pray. Father God, we just come before You, and we ask that You would give us guidance to walk in your victory, that you would empower us, that you would encourage us, that we could keep our eyes fixed on you. When the waves of life come and hit us, we would hold fast to you, our anchor of our soul. For in you, we are victorious, for you have conquered, and we thank you for that. We praise you for that. We thank you that the end of the beast is destruction, and the end of the prostitute is destruction, and the end of evil is destruction. We praise you for that. We rejoice in that with you. In Jesus' name, amen.